what is up rugby fans welcome to episode nine of the Safa pod that's right we're almost at double digits now i know it's a wednesday and not a thursday but we've decided to to stop blessing your ears on a wednesday each week we've got a great episode the really interesting guest in cheetah starts pure mafura as always i'm joined by none other than steegs Steegs, other than being disappointed that load shedding ruined your chance to to speak to your your hero in in Tepewa, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just cold, man. Six degrees this morning in in Cape Town. <laughs> but yeah, pretty pretty disappointed. I missed the interview. You obviously sent me a message last night saying, "Oh, we secured Mafura," and I was so stoked because I literally remember I can't remember which episode it was, but I think it was after his hat trick that I was like, "Yo, Mafura is someone to watch, man. He is such a good player. I enjoy watching him play." And then we get him on the pod, and then load shedding stuffs it up. I didn't want to get on and then it like cuts out or the signal's bad and then the interview goes bad and then you can't hear anything so i was just like oh i'll just sit this one out and yeah we'll see we'll we'll, we'll see what happens there maybe he comes on again and then and then i'll be here for it mafura did say he uh he would be keen to come on again so we'll we'll see if we can make your dreams come true a little bit later I'll get on that one day one day one day is one day now Quite a, a good weekend of rugby. Obviously, Curry Cup only as as it heats up and we start going into the final round this week. It was the penultimate round last week. Grick was taking the W over Province, 38 to 29. Now Province led 19 to 14 at the break. But then the Grickers came back to win 38 to 29, as I said. Interesting stat that I saw over the weekend by social media is that Province haven't beaten the Grickers. In a few years, I think it's something silly like five or six games. Steve, did you manage to catch any of that game? Yeah, so pretty much I saw that exact same stat on um, Instagram. And yeah, it was, it was quite scary because Griquas, you never really see them as a as a show-stopping team. But obviously against Province, they, they perform really well. I think Province looked like they could have been in the driver's seat, obviously, as mentioned in the last pod about Dobby sort of leaving out the URC players that started getting filled up with the URC players and that. I don't know if that was specifically a tactic that it was, you know, you had Griquas preparing for a Curry Cup team the whole week and then come Thursday when the teams are announced that there's a few URC players in sort of throws a spanner in the works. But unfortunately, if that was a tactic, it did not work very well because it just seemed like province were there. We we came to play. We we're sort of playing that so same similar style brand to the Stormers. But yeah, second half came around and Grick was just seemed like they were there. They were there for it. They really wanted to increase their chances to try and sneak into that top four spots. And if I'm not mistaken, looking at the log, I think they've got a pretty not a solid chance, but but a, a, a chance to get in the in the top four spots. So we'll obviously talk a bit more about that later when we're looking at this week's uh, fixtures. But yeah, a little bit disappointing as a province fan, but could kind of see well, not 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 even could kind of see what happens. We we thought maybe it was an opportunity when we yeah, there's URC players involved. We think it might be a walkover, but unfortunately the result didn't go away. I think it must have been some some halftime chat from their coach to, to get them as fired up as they were coming into that second half. Stacking the team with the URC players didn't didn't pay off for province. 
when the Bulls started stacking their team with URC players initially during the URC season, didn't really pay off for them. They they still didn't do too well. However, they, they seem to have found some form over the last few weeks. They thumped the Griffins 64 to 33 and got their revenge because they lost to the Griffins at the start of the year. It's the one win that the, the Griffins have got on the table. So they got on the pitch and I think in the 30th minute, the floodlights in the pitch went off and it wasn't Eskom's fault. It was just faulty lights. And there was a three hour delay between the lights going off and them coming actually out to play again. So the game ended up taking almost five hours to get done. I think as a spectator, that would have been highly frustrating. Plenty of time for beer though. Do you think them stacking the team is, is going to pay off and they'll end up winning the Curry Cup trophy this year? I think they've got a very good chance. The way that the way they've been playing recently has been has been really good. Like you say, their the form has increased. And even just sort of touching on that topic, you know, stacking teams with the URC players and that, it, it, it's never going to just pay off immediately. You know, you look at a team like the Stormers where we don't have a, a ton of, of household names and that, you know, that started at the beginning of the season, not really. Now, obviously, they've grown in popularity in that, but it just shows that, like, you can have the best team out there, the best players on paper. If, if you're not gelling and you're not uh, performing well together, you're just not going to perform as a team. So I think it does take time to sort of start gelling. And you have those URC players that haven't really been playing with the Curry Cup team or training with the Curry Cup team. So it takes a little bit of time, but it seems like the Bulls have really started oiling that machine quite well. So... Who knows? I think I think the Bulls, like like I called sort of them being in the top four spot. So sorry, Griquas, you're not in my top four. But uh, if, if they prove me wrong, they prove me wrong. But it's it's really tough to see the Bulls at the at the at the rate they've been going to to not fall in that category and not come out and dominate in in playoff rugby. Talking about the best team, the current best team on log standings at least is is the Sharks. They went on to beat the Lions 29-21, continuing their good form and destroying the Lions' hopes of a, a playoff. Fussy looked really good, had a fantastic try-intercept at one point. Do you think that Afalele Fussy has this year played himself out of World Cup contention? Because he's not been that good at URC level. He's he's looking okay now at Curry Cup level. Do we think he's he's maybe not peaked at the right time no definitely not uh, i i think with the in terms of depth from from our springbok side and that it, it just seems like he hasn't really uh performed outstanding and i think to sort of knock into that main sort of starting starting lineups and that you you've really got to shine outside your boots and that you know so it's 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 a very tough team to really secure your spot in. So I just don't really see that. Um, I think the the Sharks as a whole in that game as well, I sort of caught a bit of a very strong showing from, from the Lions. It, it was really a, a tough game, a really close game. It seems like, seemed like the Lions were going to possibly pull off a little bit of an upset there. But that's obviously just the Sharks sort of showing their their skill and their class, you know, and that's that's what wins you tournaments and especially the the massive games, the playoff games, the do or die games is no matter how close it is, are you able to notch off that win, you know, whether it's by one point 
whether it's by 18 points and playoff rugby, a win is a win no matter what. And the Sharks just uh, showed to be a bit too class for them. Cheaters and, and the Pumas obviously played over the weekend. Pumas losing at home. Cheetahs scoring 29 points, Pumas scoring 14. That means that the Cheetahs have secured a home semi-final with quite an impressive performance. Speaking of the Cheetahs, whilst Steegs was being interrupted by load shedding a little bit earlier on today, I managed to catch up with Cheetahs star Tapiwa Mafura. I'm stoked to be joined by Cheetahs tri-scoring machine, podcast host of Tapped In, Curry Cup champion, and all-round nice guy, Tepiwa Mafura. Tepiwa, how are you, mate? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. Really, really keen to, to get into it with you and, and chat some rugby. How's the body feeling having having played quite a tough game over the over the weekend against your old team? Yeah, I'm uh, well, just feeling tired and I'm sore and uh, you know, I'm, very, I'm very satisfied. Nonetheless, uh, it was a very great feeling getting the win against my old side. You know, we really had to put in a good performance to get the win. I mean, they they are the defending champions after all. So feeling really good to get that win. And you've mentioned it there. So you went from being at the Cheetahs to then going to the Pumas and then coming back to the Cheetahs after a championship yeah. the season, I might add. What drew you back to the Cheetahs? And was it awkward uh, being back on day one? Did, did you get any funny looks or, or any comments? Uh, I wouldn't say it was uh, awkward or... Uh, weird at all, but you know, obviously it was a, a little bit uncomfortable because they they still talk about the the semi final. We obviously had to play against the cheaters in the semi final, and you know, we won that game. So you know, they they still bring that game up and they talk about it. And when they do, that's when it's a little bit uncomfortable. But you know, from day one when I got back, everyone welcomed me with open arms, and it's been a it's been a great journey so far. And guess what drew me to the cheaters? Uh, to come back was, you know, knowing that they would play in the EPCR and I've always wanted to play in a European competition and you know, test myself against the big teams around the world. And you know, that's basically what brought me back to the Cheetahs. And you've kind of touched on it there. Have you been approached by any kind of mainly URC or European clubs? A bit of extra exposure playing in the EPCR and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Has, has anybody kind of had a small word with you to say, listen, would you would you be keen to, to join up? And yeah. is playing rugby for a South African team in Europe or even in Europe itself something that you'd ever consider? Yeah, um, I haven't been approached by any URC or European team as yet, but I'll definitely consider it in the future. It's uh, one of my goals to play in Europe. And, you know, if, if I get to play for a South African team that's in a URC uh, competition, I'd also consider it because, you know, it's, uh, it's a goal of mine to go against uh, these teams that have international players and getting to test myself against guys that are on that uh, stage is, is is definitely something I see myself doing one day. So hopefully, you know, in the near future it happens. Now, there's, there's kind of two aspects to this question. A lot of people have, have kind of said that the Curry Cup's a, a dying competition or it's got a lot less interest, especially with yes. you now having the URC over and above it where it used to just be Super Rugby. And now, it's, obviously, it's URC and then European Rugby, if you want to call it that, just above it. Yeah. And that lacks the intensity it almost once did. Is that something that you agree with? And, and what's one thing that you changed to create a bigger fan base for rugby, not only in South Africa, but, but world, worldwide? I don't agree with uh, the people that say that the Curry Cup is a dying competition at all because I think that every year the Curry Cup is bringing something new and, you know, you you get to see players that are incredibly talented. And, uh, I mean, last year the Pumas winning the Curry Cup just shows you how, you know, every every year the Curry Cup is evolving. And uh, I can't say that it's a dying competition at all. I mean, 
a lot. Of, I know a lot of players that want to play in the Curry Cup that are not a part of it, and it's it's a competition that's got a rich history. And if I was to do something uh, to to create a bigger fan base for rugby in South Africa, you know, I, I don't know where I'd start, but I think maybe introducing rugby to uh, towns where it isn't so popular, because. I mean, the reason why soccer is so popular is because people know about it, you know, and uh, I think that's the issue that we have with rugby. Not not a lot of people know about it. So, you know, if we get to introduce it slowly but surely, it can grow. And another thing I think I would do would be maybe to just make the experience a little bit fun for the spectators that come to the games. Because if you only go into the games just to go watch the game and then go home, you're obviously not going to be as excited as experiencing everything else. I mean, I know our marketing the marketing team tries to, you know, make it a whole experience by bringing artists that are going to perform after the games, or, you know, having games and uh, things to do at halftime. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think uh, a lot can be can be done, and um, there's still a lot of work to do to really, you know, create a bigger fan base for the guys in rugby. I think that's obviously something that American football's got so right in terms of you hear about the Super Bowl and Rihanna performing, et cetera. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a bit of a spectacle. And I think if rugby exactly. could do that, you'd have more people coming, not just, as you say, just to, to watch the game. You'd have them being excited about halftime rather than worried about going to the toilet and, and grabbing a beer, yeah. et cetera. Um, exactly. what, what do you think drew you to rugby as, as a sport? Because I, I know you were originally obviously born and moved to, to South Africa quite young to, to a small town. What was yeah. the thing that really drew you in and, and made you fall in love with the game? Um, well, so I went to a, a primary school that didn't have uh, rugby as a sport. We actually had soccer and cricket. So I didn't know anything about rugby at all until I got to high school and uh, they didn't have soccer as a sport anymore. So now I had to choose uh, between rugby and cricket. And my my coach was actually uh, my athletics coach and he knew I was quite quick. And, you know, he just told me, um, he was going to put me on the wing and uh, the guys were just going to go past me the ball and I, all I had to do was just run straight and go score the tries. That's literally how I got into rugby. So uh, from then on, I started learning more about the, the game and the positions, started shifting to fly half and to centre. And, you know, as soon as I moved to fullback after a while, that's when I found I found my position. Yeah, now, yeah, that's how that's how I fell in love. You've obviously open been quite open and honest, rather, about preferring fullback to, to the likes of wing, although the cheaters <laughs> do sometimes utilize you there. Do yeah. you prefer it because of the extra responsibility or the, the time and space that you've got on the ball? Or is there another factor? And that the follow-on from that would be what do you think is the biggest difference between a modern day kind of fifteen and an old school yeah. fifteen? Do you think the fifty, twenty-two, et cetera, has, has had a big impact on the way people play the game? Yeah, um, I'd say I prefer fullback to wing, uh, not only for the uh, extra responsibility, but um, like you mentioned, the space that you get from fullback is much more than what it is when you're on the wing. And uh, I think uh, the amount of time that I, I have to attack, I get the go-ahead from the coaches when I'm a fullback to, to do whatever I like because they trust in uh, the capabilities that I have. And I think when I'm on wing, I'm sort of restricted. I'm up in the line and uh, I don't get as much uh, space to attack as when I'm on fullback. So I think the difference with the modern day fullback and the old school fullback would just, for me, a big difference would be the, the amount of contestable kicks that, that you have to face. Because back in the day, I don't think contestable kicks were uh, something that teams really uh, used an advantage over their positions, you know, like the way we do now. So I think that's probably the biggest difference 
to have a good fullback, you know, you've got to have someone who's really good at handling those contested balls and that's probably the biggest difference for me. God, he's, he's admittedly currently injured, but you've got one of the world's best fullbacks. Although he, he plays at 12-9. He's maybe shaped a little bit more like a 12-9 and, and a good old France yeah. stain. Has he taught you anything? Has he, he handed down any nuggets of information? What's he like to, to have in camp? Playing with uh, someone like France stain is a blessing. Honestly, learning so much from him. He's, uh, he's out now with an injury, but you know, when, whenever he's on the field and we're training, you get to, to learn so much from him just by watching and listening to the stuff he says. And, you know, just watching the way he kicks a ball is incredible. He It looks like he's not even putting in any effort and the ball just goes from trial line to the, to the other trial line. And I guess it's just his uh, talent that he's, he's born with. But his mind, the way it works, the way he sees the game, the way he reads it, honestly, he can learn so much. And that's something that we've been uh, blessed with this season, you know, just having him part of the team and Rowan Bernard as well you know you get to really see the game in a different uh, perspective and you know their knowledge is really going to be crucial for us heading into the playoffs right now and heading into the playoffs which team would you say personally is, is going to pose the biggest threat to the, to the Cheetahs I think uh, all the teams are doing really well at the moment but uh, I think the team that stands out would be the Sharks I think mainly because they, they're really picking at the moment at the right time right now I think they've won three games on the bounce, and I mean they came here also in Bloemfontein and gave us, uh, you know, good good game, and they won it. And I think first place for for a reason at the moment. So yeah, I think they if we if we get to meet them maybe in the final, then it's going to be a good game. This is something that I'm I'm a really big fan of. You asked Junior Pokamela what his advice for a younger version of himself yeah. would be. What would your advice for young Tapi would be having had the experiences that you had in rugby? We had Raymond Rule on and, and he was obviously born in Ghana and then yeah. moved to South Africa. You were born in Zim and moved to South Africa. What do you think some of the challenges of a foreign-based player who then makes their way up in the South African ranks might experience that maybe somebody who's born in South Africa wouldn't? I would say, uh, you know, don't doubt yourself. Believe in the the talents that God has given you and just uh, stay true to yourself and just stick to the path that you're on because everyone has a different path and, you know, with the way that the rugby system is in South Africa, it favours, you know, guys that are chosen into the SA under 18 or under 20s and if you're not picked into that system, then it might feel like, you know, there's no future for you in the professional system later on. But honestly, when I have to look at my journey, what I've been through, I think what helped me was not doubting myself and just, you know, believing that there was something here for me and that I could um, I could go further, even though I wasn't, you know, I didn't play Craven Week. Uh, I wasn't part of the SA squads when I was young and I didn't know much about it. And I'm now playing with guys that, you know, were in those systems and some guys don't even play anymore. So... I think it's very important not to doubt yourself. You've got to be, you know, trusting in uh, the faith that you have. And you're not going to get a lot of people that believe in you, but as long as you believe in yourself and you keep the right people around you, everything will work out. That's that, It's funny that you mentioned that. We had Libby Jans von Rensberg on last week, and she was saying for women players, one of the things that she's noticed is they almost come through at having learned a lot more because for some of the men's players, when you play Craven Week, when you play SA Rugby under-20s, under-19s, whatever it might be, you end up almost thrust into, say, a Springbok setup or a box setup really, really quickly. 
And then when things go wrong, you sometimes don't have anything to fall back on, or maybe you've not got the same resilience or character reading between the lines. Would you say having gone maybe a slightly different way to some people has has taught you a lot in terms of both character and and how much hard work can pay off? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, another thing I would say or advice I'd give would be to not only put everything into rugby, you've got to have something to fall back on. You know, you, you have to go and study whatever it is that you think that you might want to do outside of rugby, go and do that because if it doesn't work out, then at least you have something to fall back on. Uh, I think that's something that's helped me a lot. Uh, I went to Portstrom uh, University and my parents made sure that I finished my studies before I could head into rugby alone. And God forbid I was to get an injury, at least I know that I've got a degree, I can go and start using it to, you know, uh, make money again and not just uh, be worried about what am I going to do now and Everyone has a different path and, you know, a journey, but at least you've got to make sure that you've got something to fall back on if, if it doesn't work out because it doesn't for everyone. And if you're in that situation where it doesn't, then, you know, you've got to at least have a plan B. I think that's really unique and, and helpful insight for, for those people that maybe are trying to or planning on being professional sports people is, is having that plan B is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Now. You're talking about Plan B. You've got that degree in place from from Poch. You're 27 now, which is by no means old, especially not in a, in a rugby sense anymore. We've seen a trend of players going till they're almost 40. Do you see yourself as, as staying in rugby and maybe picking up a coach's clipboard at some point? Or are you thinking of, of, of a life after rugby, maybe in a, a corporate environment? I do see myself becoming uh, becoming a coach one day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about rugby and kids. And... I actually have a, a clinic that I'm hosting in a month's time here in Bloemfontein. And, you know, it's just to help out some kids during the holiday, just to, you know, help them wherever we can with a few of the Chitta boys. Uh, they've volunteered to to help out. So, you know, it's it's possible. I can see myself uh, being a coach one day. But at the moment, I'm, you know, really focused on my, on my career. And, you know, we'll see how it goes after that. But, yeah, I don't see myself sitting in an office from eight to five afterwards because yeah that's that's a lot it's it's not easy at all is it an open clinic and if if there's any details about it please feel free give, give yourself a plug it's a clinic hosted by top top uh top hockey and rugby clinic schools and there's a link for it uh it's going to be on the 7th till the 8th just two days of july here in bloemfontein and you know we're going to be uh, sending out a link where the kids who are interested can uh, sign up and hopefully we get to you know see a lot of guys and girls here that we can help out because I think it's the, it's at the perfect time during the holidays when it's not school time. So yeah, really, really looking forward to that. And now to be where we love to end things on a, a bit of a quick fire round. Who's sure. the best player that you've played with or against? The best player I've played with would have to be uh, Reno Smith. Yeah, he plays for Benetton at the moment. Yeah, yeah he's a very talented guy. Great uh, utility player too. Yeah, I uh, learned so much when we were together in Porch and here at the Cheetahs before he left. And best player I played against would have to be the Toulon wing. His name is Drita Wanicolo. He's he's honestly one of the best wings I've played against. He's very quick. He's always busy. He's He's all over the place, you know. I think, um, you know, he's one of the players that helped them win the EPCR this season and he had a great season overall. And yeah, he's he's a top player. And who is either the best value or the loosest guy on the night out, whether or not that's somebody you've played with recently or in the past? Uh, that would have to be 
uh, Opa, Opa Mohoje, uh, he's that one guy where, you know, if we've had one too many drinks, he just knows, listen, it's time for us to go home. And he somehow just remembers the way home, whether it's in France or Italy, and we've never been there before. He just knows how to get back home. So it would have to be Opa. And uh, now we had, as I said, we had Raymond Rule on and he said uh, that Ciabella Sinatlo is definitely the best dancer he's ever played with, but Opa yeah. Moche is definitely the worst dancer he's ever played with. Has, has Opa ever whipped out the dance moves in front of you? And is he as bad as, yeah. as Raymond said? Yeah, it's really bad. He doesn't, he tries not to. And, you know, if he's had one too many, then, you know, he'll try to sneak in one or two dance, dance moves. But yeah, he, he's not as great as uh, you would think. No, he's like, <laughs> I hope he's not going to be angry. <laughs> he won't. It's fine. Raymond, Raymond put his name to it first. So that's okay. And tell me, what's the, the best game of your career? What's the, the game that stands out? Um, I'd say uh, the Lions game that we played in round one in Joburg got a hat trick. And, I just felt uh, everything I was doing was working on the day and you could say unstoppable and it's been a while since I've, I've felt like that and hopefully I can get another game like that in these uh, next few games that are left. Funnily enough, that game happened, I think it was the week of or the week after we started the podcast and you, oh, yeah. myself and Steve were like, he, if he plays like this, he's he's going to get picked up by another province because it was just, that game was unreal. Scoring a hat-trick in any sport was is, is just phenomenal. Finally, just to find out, are you superstitious anyway? Do, do you have any pre-match rituals? Do you, do you do the same thing before every game? I don't really have uh, any rituals. I think I just try and stick to uh, the same routine. And I think one, one thing that I try and do is uh, listen to music that, you know, that makes me dance because that helps me relax. And, if I'm relaxed, then, you know, I know I'm going to enjoy the game because that's why I'm playing it in the first place. You know, if, if I'm not enjoying myself, then I don't think I play I play very well. So uh, what helps with that is just listening to good music. And, you know, uh, our captain usually has uh, some good tunes because he's the one with the speaker. So, yeah, that helps a lot. And do you have a, a go-to either band or artist pre-match that, uh, that you go to? Anything. I'm a piano I'm, I'm good. As long as I can dance, I'm, I'm good, honestly. <laughs> well, to be fair, thanks for, for being such a great, great guest, mate. It's it's just been great having you on and, and good to chat things over and get some insight into the Curry Cup. Good luck this weekend against the Bulls. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting game and, and we'll be cheering you on from the sidelines and, and hopefully you'll be lifting the, the Curry Cup at the end of the year. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this and uh, hopefully we can do it a, another time again. Steeg's great chat there with Piwa Afura. Can't wait for that to drop. He also had really interesting points about the fact that he's going to be hosting a rugby clinic in the next few months. So we'll drop the link for that on our socials in case anybody in the Bloemfontein area wants to take any of their young children along to that because I think it'll be quite interesting. Now, before we do our typical thing and look at this weekend's Curry Cup fixtures, I just wanted to pick your brain on whether our Springboks 23 has changed with current injuries. Maybe a bit of full mix in there too. Sia Khaleesi probably going to be out until the World Cup. Who would you say slots in for him, Steaks? I think, to be honest, looking at the, the loose forwards we have at the moment, you have a couple of guys that are in good form. But I mean... You know, you look at uh, that sort of experience as well. You have a guy like Peter Steff de Toye, who's an absolute machine at the at the flank position. And then Quacker Smith, who's an 
a workhorse of notes. I think those two, to be fair, would be really solid um, flanks at at, uh, at that. And then you obviously have Marco van Staden, who has uh, who's had a pretty good season so far with the Bulls and that. So I think him coming off the bench would be pretty decent. Uh, obviously, we always want our our head boy of South Africa to to be a part of the team. But unfortunately for now, it looks like he won't be. But hopefully in the World Cup, he will be back. I think I disagree with you in terms of Mark van Staden. I don't think, I think the coaches are obsessed with him. And it goes back to that thing that we, we've discussed before in that somebody, once they're in that box set up, they're in there and it's really difficult to shift them unless you've got a really good year in terms of performances. I would say Quacha Smith absolutely slots in there for me. But... I think some consideration needs to be made for the likes of Dion Free. If we're talking open side flanker, Fetcher, somebody that's going to come onto the park and provide something a little bit extra, I think he's he's probably the man's dirt. And I think what you do is you put Malcolm Marks on. Whenever Marks is on the pitch, Dion Free's off the pitch. It just means that you've you've got that, or you could go two Fetchers on the pitch at the same time and just cause an absolute headache. Save that for the second half. <laughs> a fair <laughs> point. That's actually, yeah, it's a good point. I didn't even think of it like that, to be honest. The second question, and we've discussed this before, Ibn Etzebeth out, who do we think slots in for him? Because RG Sneeman probably stands out for me, especially after that really nightmarish performance for us as, as Stormers fans in the URC final. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I think he's just I've been an absolute... Manic kind of flipping um, a real menace for, for us Stormers fans, but hey, you know what? We'll we'll it, it's a bit of sweet uh, pull pull to swallow when you know he's playing for Munster and he's beaten our uh, precious Stormers for the title. But it's always great to realize that hey, he's going to be for and uh, he's going to be playing for our national team. And I think if uh, if Evan doesn't make it, RG Sneman definitely definitely slots in there. The other one and. This is maybe the not the controversial one, but the one that a lot of people will be thinking is the most important because tens obviously conductor on the on the pitch and dictates where and when you play. With Andre Pollard being out or having that niggle, if he's unable to make the start of the season, does Lubbock shift straight to ten, or do we go with Damian Willems there just because he's had a bit more of a bit more time in the saddle at ten than Lubbock at Test level? Keeping in mind, obviously, Damien's not really played ten for the Stormers. Yeah, I, th- I think it's such a it's such a risky move on on both sides in this. And and you know what? Like even just saying that right now, it sort of secured my my mindset behind it. Is obviously we need to prioritize over anything is the Rugby World Cup and making sure these guys are fit, prepared, and um, ready to execute when it really and truly matters. Uh, we always say that we are a World Cup winning nation and we'd like to keep it that way and, and go back to back. And so in saying that, you know, there was a part of me that was thinking, you know, maybe start Damien at 10 just to have that experience against a team like the Wallabies who are are, are going to be a very interesting team to to say the least for this uh, for this international Season, um, I, th- I think they're going to really excel compared to the past few years. And 
I think in saying that, I was I was going to say maybe bring Libok off on the bench. You could always slot Damien back at 15 if you want to take um, someone like Billy LaRue off or something like that. But you, you know what? At the end of the day, I just see it as give give Libok the chance, you know? Give it the chance. Damien Willems hasn't been playing 10 that much. You know, he is a utility. So if need be, put him there. But it's not a need be situation, you know what I mean. So then it's obviously the conversation is. I mean, I okay, this is going to sound biased, obviously, as every podcast does. But I would love to see Damian Willemse slot in at at fifteen. Obviously, Vili Leroux is an excellent player, but his sort of experience and that energy that he could bring coming off the bench would be amazing to see, and also that sort of utility. But I think. Damien slotting at 15 and then you popping Libok at 10 would just make the most sense because obviously there's already huge trust in, in him, you know, being selected for the Springboks. I just think he needs more time. And a test match against Australia where he gets a full 80 minutes would be huge for his preparation for the World Cup. You know, he doesn't have that much experience. So getting him involved in these big games and then having him on the bench for a team like the All Blacks would be brilliant. You know, I say, you know, God forbid anything happens to Pollard. But if, if he did or if we're winning and you bring on Libok against the All Blacks, it's just giving him more and more experience at the end of the day. So I, I think you stick Libok at 10. I think I'd agree. Now, the, the thing that's come out in the news this week is the box playing with the idea of sending 15 players across New Zealand when they have that first game against Australia. We did this during the 2019 World Cup cycle and it worked and it worked well. There's two things that I'm concerned about. One is this is a different Wallaby squad with a different Wallaby head coach. And the other is when we played that, as much as Alton Yankees is a bit of a divisive figure, at that point he was actually playing pretty well. And he was the, the the incumbent Springbok second choice for fly half. I would personally go with the split squad idea. And if we lose that first game, we lose that first game. But having Lubbock have those those minutes under his belt would, would be unreal. We've also never lost to the Wallabies at that ground. So the other thing that's niggling at the back of my head is does Jacques Nienarbert want to have that as part of his legacy? Is the first Springbok coach to lose there against the the Aussies. It's quite a tough one to to weigh up. And then you also got to take into account momentum and going into that second game winning. Because if we were to lose that first test, we then lost against the All Blacks and only beat Argentina if we beat Argentina. That momentum will will hurt us for the World Cup, I reckon. Yeah, I, I think exactly like you say, that sort of, it, it's a huge weighing up situation. I think more importantly is the momentum. But I think, you know what, the the coaches, the way we played in 2019, it's, it's, they're just absolute gamblers, you know, and, and they bet on our depth. And depth is going to win us the World Cup, you know, having guys coming off the bench that it, it doesn't even seem like you're replacing people on the pitch. You know, it just seems like someone who's at the exact same standard is coming on. And I think uh, to sort of show that trust in your players is having the belief that, hey, yeah, we're doing a, a split squad and we're going to send the, the main guys to New Zealand early. 
But hey, we still believe that you can beat the Wallabies at home. I think in the sense of, you know, records and stuff like that, I, I really don't. Uh, me personally, r- records are meant to be broken eventually at some point. You know, it's, you know, we, we'd never lost home to Argentina, but we did at one point. Then two years later, we won the World Cup. So at the end of the day, if we lost it, it, it's really not that big of a deal if we end up going and winning the World Cup or say we even just win against New Zealand the, the following week or two weeks. I can't remember what the schedule is. You know, we go and beat New Zealand away. That would taste just as sweet. You know, it would be it would it would pretty much be worth it. So I think they're going with the with the right idea with this. It obviously worked in 2019. Hopefully they can replicate it again. Like you said, is a different Wallaby side. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But I think Marnie Lebok is is very much a 60-40 split i wouldn't say 50 50 because more often than not he's a he's a really solid outing on on game day but there are times where he just does not show up and he's just not there but hopefully that sort of last loss against Munster has, has put a bit of a fire under his belly that he really wants to go and prove people that you know once Pollard's career is over that he will be the next fly off that will take over that and he will not move from it you know so hopefully things go well I think his if he has his kicking boots on have a bloody dirty team like the Wallabies we need to take advantage of that and really slot over those three points whenever we can we're playing in the in the high felt so you know you've you've got thinner air there Lubbock can slot those kicks over I think again it's going to sound biased but I think it ends up going our way against the against the Wallabies at home which is really good and then obviously going to New Zealand it's going to be big preparation. We have time. The jet lag isn't going to be an excuse. The boys are going to be well prepared for this game. Yeah, that that game is going to be one of the most exciting games of the year to watch because we are going there full force with a whole army to go and smash these bloody all backs in their in their home ground. Moving on, we we're talking about form there, obviously, and South African URC squads this year forms forms been a bit up and down, and I think maybe the recruitment policies from some of the teams weren't that good, namely the Sharks and and the Bulls to a certain extent. We've seen some really interesting recruitment happen already. And there was an interesting article on, on SA Rugby Mag, so credit to them for, for the segment in terms of the information we're using. If the information's wrong, blame them. But the, uh, the, the, the teams that have recruited the best so far seem to be both the Bulls and the Sharks, the Bulls have signed players in. We've got Jakob van der Waltz, who's a fly half player for Edinburgh at the moment. He's a cap Scotland player. Henry Immelman, Wilco Lowe, plays a Holocaust at the moment, cap Springbok. Yanis Kirsten, fantastic back rower, forward slash second rower. Sebastian de Clark, who plays for the Pumas at the moment. And Sergio Peterson, who province players will recognize, who currently plays for Shimizu, Blue Sharks. Black, like I, I know that. Both Mornay Stain and Bismarck Duplessis obviously retiring. Lions, they've not signed anyone yet. And, and Yaka Creel's obviously retired. The Sharks have signed some pretty big names. Vincent Koch from Stade Francais. Sia Masuku, who plays for the Cheetahs. Fly Half. George Cronier, who plays for the Cheetahs. Diego Apollos from the Pumas. IG Prinsula from the Pumas. And Kunit Verstezen from the Sail Sharks. They're obviously losing some big name players in Sia Khaleesi, Takia Abrams, Ben Tapawai. 
Thomas Tatoya and Henku Fenter. And then the Stormers have lost Stephen Kitoff to Ulster and Ernst Ren to the Sale Sharks and haven't signed anyone yet, although there's big talk around back three at the moment. Who do you see on the back of all of those signings so far? Who do you think is the top South African team next year? I think on paper it's it's got to be the Sharks, man. I think I think they've just got such a good squad. And don't get me wrong, we you have that coastal rivalry, you know, over the Stormers. I never want to see the Sharks win, <laughs> but on paper they realistically should be the team to beat. But same thing with the Bulls. They they've obviously added some really cool, uh, really key players there uh, for their squad. But again. Big names don't when you when you tournaments unless your coaching staff is right unless your your team is gelling and you performing and you have this sort of momentum moving forward in that and I think um, it's 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 too early to call I think the the answer is on paper it should be the Sharks but you know you've just got to wait you like as you mentioned there's a lot of talk around the. The back three of of Stormers. I did see an article saying that the final offer was refused from from Cheslin Colby for. Yeah. I think that, how much was it? Like fifteen, 15 million, million rand. rand. Yeah. Yeah. Fifteen million rand a year. So I don't know. I don't know if the Stormers are going to get more dough, or they just uh, Colby's managers just trying to you know get more cash or something like that. And maybe the Stormers do have it, but that would the way Colby plays would just fit Stormers. I mean, he, he's an ex-Stormers player. He's played so well in for the Stormers. And the current rugby we're playing now, he would just slot in so beautifully. I think if, if we sign him and uh, potentially one more decent, decent player, um, especially someone to sort of replace, uh, not replace, you can't replace Stephen Kitsoff, but someone to sort of slot in there and perform really well, I just, I just don't see anything changing, really. I think Dobby, because at the end of the day, you can look at the players all you want, but you've got to look at the coaching. Is the coaching working? Is, is, there, is there a good unit behind these players? And I, I just don't see it changing. I think Stormers, again, we're going to sound biased, but I think Stormers do uh, repeat the, the form in the URC, especially next season. I, I, I really do see it. I think the everything that's going on in Cape Town at the moment is just really, really good. And I think, hey, to, to be the top dog, you got to beat the top dog, you know? And I think the Bulls and the Sharks really have to do some some something pretty pretty special, you know, to try and knock us off our, our pedestal at the moment, which which would be interesting. You know, you would you would like to see a lot of competition and sort of you know those wins and losses and that and switching it up a bit. You know, it sort of makes Stormers a lot more hungry as well. So, but I, I think on paper it's the Sharks, but realistically, I reckon the Stormers are going to take it again next year. So word on the street is that Cheslin Colby has accepted an offer from a Japanese club, potentially. And actually, Toulon have been offered a buyout for Colby's contract already from this Japanese club, which clears about, I think it's a million euros from, from their account, because that's how much they had to pay to lose to buy Colby off of them. So I think it'll be interesting. I don't think he'll be coming to, to SA. I, I don't think we've got the money for it, unfortunately. I think Warwick Halant has been 
banded around as a, a potential coming back to the Stormers. There's, there's a couple of others that that might make it. I think, oh, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I actually cannot believe I'm saying this. I think that the Sharks are going to be the best team next year, purely not based on the 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 players that they're bringing in because the players that they're bringing in are good, right? They've not got maybe quite as many big name players as the Bulls in terms of big standout players. They've, they've got a couple of mainly Curry Cup players coming in, but who are a safe pair of hands. I think the thing that concerns me is the fact that John Plumtree is coming in and his coaching experience at an All Blacks level and having done 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 it wrong with the Sharks before coming back to write that, I think that that, that coaching team, their current Curry Cup coach is, is going to be their defense coach and, and the record that he's got at the moment speaks for itself. It just concerns me. I just, I think the Sharks might might have the edge next year. I might change that tune depending on who we sign, but I think combination of coaching and and the players that they've signed is is the concerning factor for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I mean, it, it, Colby is a is a stretch to see if he comes back to South Africa. There's just so much more money um, internationally, and for a player like him, he, he's going to get he's going to get a, a fat contract from someone. So, yeah, I, I do agree with you. On paper, it seems like the Sharks should take it next year, um, which obviously we're waiting to see what the Stormers do this offseason and, and who they purchase. But, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say depending, depending. Like I said, it's kind of too early to there's, make a proper call. There's a little asterisk there. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, in terms of the Stormers, if we wait and see – Apparently, Colby is going to be the highest paid rugby player at the end of this year once his contract gets announced. So he'd need to be well in excess of a million pounds, which is, you're talking 23, 24 plus million rand a year, which far outweighs what, what the Storms are offering him, unfortunately. Nah, my bro. Nah, my bro. We got we got a good couple million flipping people in Cape Town, okay? Listen, yeah, this is a call out to everyone in Cape Town, everyone that went to the, to the game, okay? Speak to your family, speak to your friends. This is a public announcement. Everyone donate 10 Rand to the Stormers so we can bump up that 15 mil to 20. You know what? Bump it up to 30 mil, okay? <laughs> Everyone chip in 10 Rand, please. We need to see Colby back in the Stormers uniform. <laughs> oh, the stuff that dreams are made of. Now, dreams are free, buddy. <laughs> dreams are free. And we're, we're heading into the final week of Curry Cup rounds. And then obviously we've got the semifinals coming up. Quick fire on that, Steegs, and, and your potential winners on that. Grequiz v. the Pumas. Who do you think is taking that one? Pumas. I reckon the Grequiz. Do you think the Pumas? After their performance last week against Province at home. They are sizzling out. They are sizzling out. And Grequiz. No, I, I just want to be right with my predictions. So I'm going to say, I'm just going to say Pumas. You know, I want my top four making it. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Griffins and Lions. Griffins. Mark my words, Griffins. I'm trying to think up a bet on the spot in terms of what. No, what I'm not do. betting. I'm not betting anymore because, you know, I didn't want to get this flipping mullet. And then I realized I just need to, because I always end up doing these bets. I always end up sticking to my word, which is a good thing, but it's also a shit thing. Okay. So I'm not making any more bets. But the mullet looks cooler. Thank you. 
Bulls cheaters. This is a tough one for me, especially seeing as we just had Tapua on. It is. It is. I think. Oh, this. This is. This is going to be the decider. This. The, the Griquas Pumas and the Bulls cheaters are the the most exciting games to watch this weekend. Oh man, I'm. I'm going to say the Bulls notch it off. I'm going to say the Bulls notch it off. I think they've got. The, look, yeah, the cheaters have their home home semifinal. I, I just think the Bulls have been playing so well. They've got that star team. And this is a must-win game for them to secure that um, that top four positioning. So I'm going to say Bulls. Sorry, Mufura. You're a horrible man. So, I, I mean, Pumas are currently sitting on 36 points as of the Bulls. Griquas are on 35. Province are down on 32. I think realistically it's going to either be... The Griquas or the Pubans that yeah, I, I think it's interesting. We'll see what happens. I mean, final round or final game of the weekend will be Province and the Sharks. Quite apt given our, our recent discussions. Who do you think takes that province at home? Sharks. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to agree, I'm afraid. It'll be interesting to see because because Dobson came out this week to say he made a mistake. He maybe should have gone with the younger lads and the lads he was backing during the normal curry cup season. And that's maybe where he went wrong because there might have been a bit of a hangover from the URC final. be very interesting to see what he does this week in terms of selection. And does he does he stay with the URC stacked side, or does he back the, the young boys having admitted his mistake last week? I, I think he backs the young boys, to be honest. I mean, there's there's not really much hope to to end top four in that. You know, the URC team and the, well, the URC players and that, they've pretty much played two tournaments. You know, they're... Their season's done. You know what I mean? Let's let's let the young guys end it off and cap it off and see what happens from there. Thank you very much for joining us on another week of the Safa Pod. We hope it was a good listen. And if you liked it, then please give us a follow on the socials and subscribe to stay up to date on our latest episodes. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>